This is Akafe. Laura Marie and Jessica Marie proudly present A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, a podcast. Fair warning, everything the hosts say is explicit, full of spoilers and adult content and shall not be used against them. They have opinions. Let's try not to drag anyone for expressing themselves and just have fun for an hour. We all deserve it. This episode contains no spoilers outside of the Priory of the Orange Tree. However, there are topics surrounding sexual assault, physical violence, and suicide. Welcome to A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, your weekly deep dive into the YA literature and fandoms that we love. I'm Laura Marie. And I'm Jessica Marie. And today we are discussing one of my favorite books, The Priory of the Orange Tree, and Jessica has thoughts. Um, okay, not bad thoughts at all. Let's, here's the thing. I was, it was more or less like, I'm lost. I need to reread it, but not in a bad way. I think I didn't realize that there's a difference between fantasy, the types of fantasy you read. So I went into this, despite Laura's disclaimer, like my stupid ass. I was like, oh, but I'm in fantasy. It could be a quick read, blah, blah, blah. It's fine. And it wasn't. It's There's a difference between high fantasy and low fantasy and regular fantasy. And that was just... A completely different shift for myself, um, but in a good, challenging way. And it's also like some reflectiveness to think of like how I approach other high fantasy books that we'll talk about in the future. Um, but does everybody, are, you know, you could like fantasy and are there like certain subgenres that you were talking about where people will say like, oh, well, we'll steer clear of that. Like that's not necessarily what they're into because I feel like this was very game of thronesy which i've like visually i've tried to watch but it was always as a background noise or like watch it while i did homework so it wasn't necessarily something that i was super engaged in to which point you and one of our friends were like no if you're not fully watching it it's not you're not going to be invested the way you need to so i don't know and not in a bad way. Like, I really like it. Like, I like it to the point where I want to, now that I have, like, a, a good foundation and we're having this discussion, that I want to reread it and appreciate it for what it is. Because there's a lot of, like, the politics, the religion, the diversity, the story. Like, there is a depth to these characters where I was even, like, shocked with Sir. I was like, oh, I didn't care about that person, but now I kind of do, you know? Yeah. Okay. So to answer, answer some of your questions. Yes. There are types of fantasy that people steer away from because it can seem like overwhelming and daunting. So that would be like this, like high fantasy and like epic fantasy, um, fantasy where the, the world building is so essential and so key that you cannot skip any of it. It is, it's so important. So like the characters kind of sit on top of the world building. But you don't understand the the way that the characters interact with anything unless you understand all of the groundwork that's been laid out. And and it's and it's different. So like this is not YA by any means. 
Um, that's not to say that why fantasy is bad. Obviously, we love it, but it's just very, very different. Like these are grown ass people doing grown ass things. And I think that that is very clear at the end of this book uh, with some of the decisions that the characters make. It's like, oh, in in like YA fantasy, they, they would not do this. Um, it, 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 it's, it's really wonderful to me. And yes, for like Game of Thrones, like that is something that if you're reading it, you have to really pay attention. Um, editor Sam once drew out an entire family tree of all of the major Game of Thrones characters, connected all of it, and it ended up being incredibly helpful. <laughs> so. Did he, I, I can't remember, did he read or did he, like, did he read it on audio or did he read it, like, physically? Uh, Sam did it on audio okay. and over a course of, you know, months. And I read the first four books in a week over Christmas break one year when I was in college. And I think that's also something because I started reading this book audio and I love audio, but I feel like because it was high fantasy, it was also, that was another reason it was throwing me off. I mean, I can say that there's excuses. I can say them. And I was like, going to have this going on and this, but there, I, I was trying to find what was it that was like, why was I not getting pulled in like I initially do? Like, I'm the person who, like, one chapter in, I'm sold, or two chapters in, I'm sold. So it was it was interesting. So once I switched, and I was more than halfway through the book at this point, to just follow along with the actual book, that's when I feel like I was really into it, which is another reason why I kind of want to start over again and just read. And I also, I'm now familiar with the pronunciations that to have more of that appreciation and to look at it on paper, um, because there is a depth to these stories and what's happening in the characters. And, and also with the characters, there was so many named and I was so, I was applying different suggestions to a completely different book where you're like, if there's, you know, I think with Throne of Glass, you had even mentioned if there's a character that's named, that character is important. So I was putting, you know, trying to marry feedback that I've received from other fantasy reads and apply it to this one when really I just should have let that go out the window. I was putting my focus and again, nothing about the writer. This is not a critique for the writer. The story is beautiful. The characters are well-developed. Everything is so organic. This was this is really just um, feedback for myself in understanding how to process. And I'm sure I'm not the only one, especially with book talk and Instagram, or people who are just trying to trying to diversify the genres that they're exploring um, and adding depth to what they're reading it's still like this this trial and error of understanding what works best for you in order to to be more engaged in the story and how not everything's going to be this cookie cutter situation when when you're reading that that is exactly right so let let's kind of let's kind of get into it so everybody can kind of figure out what we're talking about because i'm sure no this was like a big bestseller, you know, um, Samantha Shannon really hit it out of the park with this, but a lot of people are very intimidated to read this. So I feel like if we kind of um, break it down a little bit, then it'll be kind of more approachable. One of the reading strategies that I found very helpful for me is if I ended up feeling overwhelmed and I couldn't process everything, then I would stop after each like big section, right? So it's broken up into like 
six or seven parts. Yeah, seven yeah, parts. like parts. Yeah, so if you, so I would like, and I, I gave myself over a month to reread this and be very comfortable with it. So I started um, April twenty second is when I started it, and then I finished it uh, this morning. I left myself an hour, so I I did the parts. And then I would like reflect on them and then keep going. And I will say, even then, there are still some parts where I'm a little iffy on. So take that. And this is a reread for you. So you even like, do you feel like you have more of an appreciation, more of a grasp? Or do you still feel like you were you you are at where you were your first read? No, I was really able to kind of filter out the stuff that wasn't important, like, um, you know, Sabron's, like the past Sabron's. It's like, eh, it's not important. Or right. like uh, focusing on the, the Knights of the Body and like their their lineage and stuff. It's like, I know that's not important. Okay. You know, and then like go from there. Um, so really good. So Priory of the Orange Tree. This is a sapphic retelling of St. George and the Dragon. Just phenomenal. There are about four main characters. I would say Iad, Tane, Roos, Loth, I feel like that those are like the main four everybody talks about, but I, but Sabran is such a. I feel like she's a main character, but I don't know if I feel that way because Iad is a main character, and when we're in Iad's like POV, that's like she she's such an integral role, and I mean she is a big role throughout the whole book, also. So Sabran. So okay, back up. The thing that I really love about this book is the religion of it, right? Like, I love a good, like, down down with the religion based on a lie type situation. And that is what this is, right? So you have Sabran, who is the queen of Innis, um, who has been, is a part of the Barathnet line, has been for a thousand years. And we find out that all of the queens all look the same creepy and they can all only have one child and that child is a daughter and it is a queendom of Innis, right and that unbroken 1000 year line of breath neck queens is according to the religion of the land the reason why the nameless one which is a big bad talking dragon right love that uh is the reason why he is imprisoned uh in the abyss of a, and he's been in prison for a thousand years, yeah. and that's and now that that's kind of like where the plot is going for this book is look the, the a thousand years is is coming up, and what the hell are we gonna do? But yep. part of that line is a thousand years ago, it was her Sabran's lineage was the one who defeated the the nameless one the first time around. Yes, yes, and the uh, and um, Galleon Baratnet. And his queen, ugh, you know, it's so it's it's so complicated. Um, like created this whole religion, and and yeah, ba- based on this one act of like defeating the nameless one and Galleon claiming that he did it. Right? He is he's the saint, and and the breathnet queens are the blood of the saint, and the religion is based on that. So that's like one side. The other side is Iad. And she is, oh, she's fantastic. I like her. She's a handmaiden in the Priory, and they are dragon slayers, right? And uh, she's a mage. She can conjure all, like, four or five 
different kinds of mage blame, and they hunt down dragons. And then on the other side, <laughs> you have Tane, and Tane is a dragon rider. And in the east, they worship dragons. They see them as gods. And these dragons are different. They don't have wings. They are the very traditional, um, like Asian dragons, like very long. Um, yes, and I did see the imagery for that, and that's why they're also will also refer to them as worms. Right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then the wyverns are different than the like the dragons are wyverns. Are they used interchangeably? Because I con- no. I connected the worms and the dragons. It's just like visually, like this is this type of dragon and this is this type of dragon. And there's different lands too. You have like the east area, the w- the west area, and then the south. They reference the north, but nothing is really going on there. I mean, I feel like that's just at that point you're you're using your cardinal directions just so it's acknowledged. So the wyverns, uh, in, in my head, the wyverns are very similar to like Throne of Glass Manon type wyverns, right? Because mm-hmm. they're they're smaller and compact, and they're they're on two legs, and you know this, this whole thing. And then um, there's also the cockatrices and all of these other types of animals that were. Um, like interbred with each other to create new species. And all of those species answer to uh, these dragons that are, because the thousand years is, is up, we learn, coming back to life. And that that is how um, everybody kind of realizes that they're, they're in the shit because all of these creatures are coming up and um, a kingdom has renounced the, the religion of Innis, the, the queendom, the virtues, that religion, and has, um, you know, sworn allegiance to the nameless one. And there's that whole side, too. So it's it's very complicated. It's very interesting. It is a huge book. It is enormous. Like a thousand pages, I think. 76 yeah. chapters. I mean, this is, this is probably the longest book I've read at this point now. So interesting. I, I looked this up because I have the German copies, and um, I... I think I've got pictures of it, and I think I posted it on TikTok once. But they're split into two books in, in Germany, and I, I like wrote it down. So part one ends uh, with Iad like on the boat crossing the desert, and part two opens up with Tane on Feather Island. And those are two like very big things that are happening. Like two of our main characters are like going on journeys and like leaving where they started, and those the books being split were released in Germany a month apart. So like September 1st and then like October 19th. So I don't I don't know why they did that. Maybe to make it more palatable for German readers. I'm not sure. The covers are really pretty. One is yellow and one is blue. I like them. Do you feel like that's a good part in the book to have that break? I think so. It kind of gives you sense. like a cliffhanger. Yeah. So you're like, ooh, And it kind of closes this what's going on and like, I don't want to say closes it because whatever's happening in that first part is still actively happening behind the scenes but it's just bring it shifts your focus of okay now we're in this like now we're we're focusing this way you know we gotta we have to shift because that's where the storyline is shifting to right and um game of thrones is kind of broken up this way too so yeah so i i guess i guess because i like this genre is my jam right like epic high fantasy is my happy place I love YA fantasy, I do, but I, I love grown-ass people doing grown-ass things, and 
realizing that like everything that they've ever been told is a lie and devoting the rest of their life to make change. Right. And, and that, that's how this book ends. And it's just like, yes, yes. Okay. And, um, I just, I just really love Iad and the whole priory and every, I like, I can see it. And, um, Jess, I know I told you days ago <laughs> that there was a scene kind of in the beginning that I could like see in my head and like I wanted it on screen. Right. You, did you know what I was talking about? I I kept thinking of the fight scenes, like every time when there was like wyverns in the sky or when Sabran is coming to make her announcement to the people. And then there was like an assassination attempt, like every time that there was like a physical altercations. I that's what I was imagining how that was playing out. No, not. No, <laughs> no, that wasn't it. Um, the, the scene that really cemented this is something that was powerful and like something that I loved was kind of in the very beginning when Fidel comes uh, and Queen Sabron meets him on the tower and Fidel is wrapped around one of the towers and he's screaming, you know, Sabron, show yourself Sabron because dragons can talk. And Sabron is like in her nightgown and like walks out onto the balcony and she's got the sword, right? And she's like, I will defy you. Like I... You know, I'm here and like she doesn't flinch. And then and he, he adds in like hidden, like protecting her with her mage magic. Right. But like just the image of like this huge dragon, just like and he spits fire on Sabron. And, um, you know, Iad is is there like protecting her. But Sabron doesn't know that. And uh, that the fire and then at the end, there's like a perfect circle of like shielded around Sabron and she holds up the sword and she's like, I banish you. Like, oh, my God. Like, just that, is that what sold you? You were like, mm-hmm. I'm in it now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that has a lot to do with like the the imagery of like Game of Thrones. So, like I'm so used to seeing like those three dragons. So like. This was not a stretch at all. Just, you know, they talk, but like, fine, whatever. Uh, so good. Oh, the dragons talk in Game of Thrones? They don't. No. Oh, I didn't think they no, did. No. But like, uh, it's, it's so good. I love it so much. And it's just, it's so powerful. Just like this one woman who thinks, like, she, she thinks that she has this like divine blood. Like, she thinks her whole heart that she's descended of the saint and she's not. But, you know, in, in, in fairness, it's it goes back to the religion and the upbringing and like this false sense of identity and truth that we later find out in the book. That that's that it's because that's all she knows. That's all she was groomed. Why would she think anything else? And, you know, and even like reading it, it I know it didn't make sense, but I was like. I'm Team West. Like for some reason, I was like, I like the West, the Western Western Queendom more than Team East. But then you realize it's like they were the ones who made everything worse for everyone the whole time, and that was a huge plot twist for me. I did not, and then of course I'm like, of course, of course they're the ones that wind up being the bad guy. But again, that that's how they position themselves. And and also, again, as we know, like with history or stories, you're going to have like there's three sides to every story, you know, this side, that side and the truth. And then we just, you know, and then every time people are I don't want to say people, but different 
geographic locations in the story, you find out how they're getting pieced out over, like how they kind of separate and where their like their myths are coming from or where their legends are coming from. Um, Just like with the worms in the East, you find out that the original one was in a shape-shifting form of a bird who was being taken care of this whole time. So there was the, the, there was this this peace between the people. Whereas in the West, they always saw the dra- the dragons as and the worms as like these terrible things, and they only thought dragons to be terrible. There was no possibility of being good. I mean, obviously, the nameless and Fierdel, Fiadel, Fiadel. The second in command to the nameless one, like they're they're bad guys. They're they're bad. So, but I guess that's also like in a weird way. It's just like with people, like not all people are good and not all people are bad. Something that I really love is it, you mentioned earlier. Like I really love Sabran. I think that her character development is pretty lovely to watch, and she has such a legitimate fear. Like so, obviously she. Um, ends up in a relationship with Iad and it's, it's really lovely. It's really beautiful. But Sabran's one like job, right, is to provide a daughter for the queendom so that the line doesn't die with her. And Sabran is terrified. They say this over and over again. She's terrified of childbed, right? She, she just, is, she doesn't want to lose control over her body. She doesn't want to lose control over the kingdom and be to kind of um to kind of get around this is how um Nicolay's ruse gets roped into it because he promises that he can make her an elixir of life and so that she can reign forever and never have to go through like childbed and like yeah can anything relate more to me no like that (laughs) it was just like oh this is written for you specifically it's like yes okay it is um and and that is just so relatable and something that just isn't talked about enough right like somebody who has all of this pressure and like weight on them to carry out this this task that you just don't want to do and and to like give up like all of this control over your body and and people have been telling her that this is her only goal her whole life and then we find out that her mother uh had an affair with a pirate, pirate. captain harlow and, and the captain of the rose eternal and so sabran is pretty much it's i don't think it's confirmed it's not confirmed yeah but, but it's it's alluded to strongly. Yeah, this Sabran is a bastard. And it uh, oh, it's just it's so good. And then Egrain Crest, the the whole plot, the whole like politics and plot when Iad um was a lady of the bedchamber, I just really love that. And with the Nighthawk and and his name is like Satan, I, I love that. Um but we find out that Egrain murdered um Sabran's mother and then she tried to have a coup and and tried to get Sabran to to sign away the kingdom while she was sick with fever. Well, and part of it's because because of the assumption that Sabran isn't a legitimate child. They don't like Egrain doesn't believe that that makes her the legitimate queen, which would then shift onto her and her lineage and that's then she starts she starts killing people she's just trying to like you said she's setting up this coup 
so she could so so could shift to her and I, I feel I'm so I was frustrated a lot because childbearing was brought up so much and then I had to take a step back and remember about the political machinations and you know religion and kingdoms and that is a lot of like just you know I want to do like that it's a queendom like it's only you know women but just in general of having to bear an heir and that's why you don't just have one heir now you have to have like the backup heir so now you ha- you have to just keep procreating to make sure thing you know th- that the familial lines and the royal lines stay within that's a lot of pressure and it wasn't just for it wasn't for Sabran. It was also for Meg later on where she finally gets engaged and she's, you know, her, her parents are like uh, counts and, you know, uh, like a duke and a uh, countess. Um, and her mom's like, oh, well, now that he has the title, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll have strong heirs to carry out our land. And it's just as a woman to have that much pressure to you need to carry out the family name and not just in royalty like even now in families to say well what's going to happen when you get married what are you going to have kids who's going to carry out the name like that's your concern your concern isn't me it's just like this this ego that comes it really is like this ego and pride thing no one's gonna you're gonna be dead you're gonna be dead what do you care if the name is there or not and something that really sat with me, too, is, like, Sabran does everything that's expected of her. She marries somebody that she didn't want to marry. Of course, she ends up, like, kind of falling for him. But then he is killed in, in a coup. And I want to I want to talk about Trude in a little bit. But he's, he's killed. And then Sabran is pregnant. And then Kaliba, as the white dragon comes and shoots like and and hits her with like a barb from her tail and strikes her like in the stomach and and which was on purpose Kaliba knew what she was doing and Sabran loses the baby and uh breathnet queens can only have one child so the baby's gone and she's barren now and that kind of is what spurs Egraine into trying to overthrow her but it's just like and Sabran says like you know, women are more than just a womb to be seated. We're, we're so much more than that. And at the end, she's like, I'm going to put a stop to this. I'm going to tell everybody the truth uh, about about the lineage and about everything that happened. And, uh, you know, and then Sabran is in this this beautiful relationship with Iad and they, they see each other and challenge each other. And Iad says, like, you're the most stubborn, like hard headed person. And I just love you so much. And Oh, oh, ha- and Ugh. not in an enemies to lovers sort of way. No. Like I want to, no, it, it isn't that at all. And I, and I feel like you pick it up a lot with Iad initially of like how she just like her her stolen glances to her, um, and then Sabran eventually comes around to say like I don't know if it's, you know, just like I I think still trying to understand who she is as a person where she goes, do I not want kids because I don't want kids? Do I not want kids because I'm not attracted to men? Like, I feel like I'm doing this out of obligation. Is it because do I do, does she love Iyad because it's 
the opposite of what she's been told her whole life or is it like this true so i really do love her her growth from the beginning where she kind of obviously has a sense of entitlement because of her 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 place in society you know she would be bratty she would be you know um spoiled and just kind of just how she interacted with the the ladies in waiting and the chambermaids and Iad did not stand for any of it she called her out and i said that to you earlier laura when i was reading about it i go i like her because she doesn't let Sabran get away with anything where everybody like the other ladies are just kind of being like yes ma'ams you know just yesing her and just appeasing her and Iad wasn't leaning into it or she would bring a different perspective to say you know if she's like oh am I pregnant yet I'm eating cherries and Iad's like or it's cherry season and you really want cherries like I really (laughs) I really liked those little those little nuances because it's important. It's important to hold those other people accountable um, to be like, are you sure? Like, look at it from a different perspective. So let's talk about Trude. Trude, Sulliard, Nicolais, and uh, Janart. So Janart is dead. And he, he's he's just kind of this, this like background character that Nicolais references as like the love of his life. Okay, so... We know that uh, Trude is Janart's granddaughter, and she looks up to Nicolaes, who Nicolaes is like a, an old man who has been banished because he did not make Sabran the elixir of life. So he, he's been banished. And Trude finds uh, this information, right? She, she, she goes to like this forbidden city and she finds information. And, and her and Sulliard, her lover, uh, her husband actually, uh, get, get this idea in their head that the dragons are going to rise, right? They're going to rise. And in order to defeat them, uh, we need to form an alliance with the other parts of the world. And all of us together need to, um, you know, join forces to defeat the nameless one. And that is what happens at the end. Trude and Sulliard are convinced that the only way to save the world is to unite unite all of the kingdoms that have been separated for a thousand years after the Grief of Ages, right? So I, I really love that they were right. They were a thousand percent right. Like the youth, no one listens to the youth, right? I, that's kind of, kind of the message there. Which is still an on, like it's just, it's still an ongoing message now. It's not just a message there. It's a message in life. Yeah. No no one ever listens to the kids, even though the kids are usually right. So Trude and Sulliard get executed on different sides of the world. And it, it's very sad. It's very tragic. And Nicolay's, uh at the end, he's like, I want to be a grandfather to Trude. I, I have been remiss. I've been like wallowing in my own exile and self-pity. Like, take me back to Trude. And Iad and, and Sabran are like, she's fucking dead. Like, Igraine executed her because, uh, Trude staged the attack that ended up killing Sabran's husband. And because of that, she was, she was executed, but Sabran didn't have anything to do with it because she was also 
um, in exile because Igraine was trying to overthrow, like overthrow everything. Uh, and it's it's just like this really tragic small backstory that is just so important because we should always listen to the children. They're always right. It's just because they're 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 more. I I don't know. I think it reminds me of when maybe this is just an extreme example of when law enforcement are asking for like, can you retell of a situation that's happened, um, like reporting crimes and everything. And kids sometimes don't have pressures coming from all other places. They're just be able to retell exactly how they saw it and how they observe it. And they feel like the same thing can be said about youth in look, I haven't been jaded by the world just yet. So here's what I'm seeing. I'm going to present you what our experiences are. And even then, like you said, it's just completely dismissed. Yeah. And not just completely dismissed, but like disdain, right? Like, how dare you type shit? Well, and that's still very telling to just like think of like generationally now. You're, there's an assumption that if somebody is older than you, you must immediately give them respect. They're entitled to respect just because they're older. And as we know, that's bullshit. Yes. But it's hard to it's definitely a learning experience to unlearn those habits that that have been ingrained with us specifically to say, no, like you don't you don't deserve that. Um, you haven't earned it. I, I'm just supposed to give you respect and I don't even know you or even from like a um, like a consent standpoint. I really like seeing on TikTok people are teaching like their kids you know, how it used to be like, go over to so-and-so and give them a hug, give them, you know, you're demanding that physical interaction. And you see a lot of people trying to teach their children that it's okay to not feel obligated to shake hands with somebody, to hug somebody in greeting, to like, even if it's a cultural thing, because that's outside of your comfort zone. And I really, I do, I, I think it's, it's something nice that we're that, that is being taught to a younger generation because the, you know, with, between boomers and Gen X or everybody ahead of us, there is this sense of because I said so. Oh, you're so right. Oh, it's exhausting, right? Just listen to the children. The children are always right. Let's talk about um, Tane. Tane and her beautiful dragon, Naimathon. I love their relationship. I was so sad. Oh, I was so sad when when they when they put Tane in a position like you're going to this is what you need to do if you want this with Naimathon. But like at the not at the end, but when Tane finds Na Naimathon again and Naimathon's like, I, I knew you'd come back. Like, nobody's perfect. I don't hold that accountable. You were put in a difficult situation. Like, what matters is you're here now. You're one of us. You have a dragon heart. That is why I chose you. I, I just, I was really, really happy. How I imagine her, well, assuming gender, um, 
you know the dragon on the cover of Aragon, like a purpley. That's how I imagine her. I, I it's love so her. silly, but like her face. That's how I. I just and kind. I just kind and and calm and and understanding and and willing to to explain and like talk about things. And she's lovely. Well, even in their their initial meet and greet, if you will, she goes. It, it was right away. She goes, "You're my rider. This is." Now let me share this with you. And Tanya goes, Well, you know, you don't you don't have to. This is your story. And she goes, No, you're like immediately like that mama ba- like that that mom that just kind of is like, You're you're my friends, you're you're my kid's friend, you're my kid now. And just kind of I'm gonna let you know everything because it is all important and understanding that history because the the respect, there is a respect that's earned there. And and there's like a mutual understanding for each other that I really, I really loved seeing. And, and not only that, but the whole Naimathon's really great speech when she's uh, chained and being held in the, the pirate ship of the Golden Empress when Tane comes to get her. And um, Tane's like, you know, I don't deserve you. Like, I'm not pure. And Naimathon goes like, you are, you are... You are the ocean. The ocean isn't pure. The ocean has all of these different aspects. You know, what matters is that like the water in you, um, is like true and you're true to yourself. And, you know, you are more than like all these different pieces. It's the whole that matters. And oh my God. I loved that. I love that was such like, I think that that line really stuck out to me like that moment and then i love she goes now i want to help you but you gotta get that and she was like but i i need to be unchained <laughs> like this is all sweet and fine ha 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 we're having a moment but free me please i also like the little de- the the details about the dragons like um the, the Eastern dragons, their blood is like silver iridescent and their bones are iridescent. And it's just, it's just really lovely. Like it's all just really lovely. And, and the detail that, you know, distinguishes them from the Western evil dragons and the Eastern good ones, like they don't have wings. They have like a, like a bulb, like a big pouch underneath their chin. And like that's what gives them flight. And, uh, oh, it's just, it's so incredibly magical. And, um, you know, every time Naimathon was in danger, I was just like, oh, God, no, no, no. She's so wonderful. And I then, uh, I will say the whole time, every time something bad was happening, I was like, this is it. Like, I thought that was it. I thought that was going to be the moment. Uh, there, there's so many moments like that, too. But I, I feel like that is another um, like aspect of this high fantasy. It's just like one thing on top of another thing on top of another thing. So something that I really love about books like this is um, the way that everything starts off very far apart. You know, all, you know, our four, four main characters more or less are in different parts of the world. And then as the book goes on, um, I think of it as like a, like a Nautilus shell. So it, it like spirals out. So it's like everybody's out and then they get closer and closer and closer and closer. And then when um when Tane and Iad meet in Ascalon Palace for the first time, I was just like, yes, 
I love it. I love seeing like characters interact like this. And, and you know, like it's a dragon rider and a dragon slayer and they have to work together because of the duality and each of them have the, the jewels. And it, oh, it's- I love that they like, they, they even say it to each other. You know what I am? You know what I am? All right. Cool. Or we got this. Let's, let's move forward because, because they are, they're, they're adults. They're grown and they do realize. And we were talking about this earlier, that there is a bigger picture. And, and, you know, and we say that about other characters too, but they understand that there is something bigger that needs to be put ahead of anyone's personal issues or, or preferences. I mean, even with Sabran, who, who married, became widowed, and then thinking about uniting the kingdom, saying, like, it's never been done before. But she goes, but we need to think of the bigger picture. Time's ticking. Nameless one's coming. We don't have the certain... We don't have this sword anymore. We need... What other things are at our hands that we do have control of? Like, what is the controllable variable that we can make work for us? And she still didn't want to be married, but she's like, I will... This is what we... If we have... It's not just about kingdoms now. It's lands let's reach out and look at this as a political alliance as a not even political a military alliance because this is coming whether we're denying it or not we might have differences differences of opinions but what's the bigger picture a character that really goes through it is loth and loth was very frustrating to me in the beginning but his his scenes are arguably some of my favorite scenes when Loth and Kit are uh, exiled by the Nighthawk because uh, Loth is best friends with Sabran and they have been since they were six, right? So to outsiders, he's too close to the crown and it looks like Sabran and Loth are having an affair. And because of court politics, that can't be the perception. So the spy master, the Nighthawk, uh, exiles um, Loth and Kit, his best friend, to um, the Draconic Kingdom to try under the like, you know, pretense of trying to figure out what happened to Sabran's father. And that whole scene, that that whole setting where they where they go to the Draconic Kingdom and the Don Mata Morosa and and all of that that happens there is one of my absolute like favorite parts of this book. I, I don't know why. But I, I absolutely, I love it. I absolutely love it. Not related into this, but the book overall has made me think, even though it's not YA, do you feel like this would be a good assigned reading for like maybe high school or maybe maybe not high school, maybe it is a college read. But I feel like you use this and then have a follow-up assignment, not of a oh, tell me about this book. But look at those those themes and how to, how to kind of dissect it further. I mean, I think high school would be interesting, but if, you know, at the same time, can you really, what's the likelihood of really grasping this in high school? Because I'm barely grasping it now. I think it would be good as like a, like a freshman or like sophomore intro English class. I took some really interesting uh, English classes 
during my beginning years at school, I took like a like a monsters class where we read all the classic like monster books and then we watched episodes of Buffy and like compared and contrast. Cool. Oh, that it is was really, really cool. good. It was really good. It was the best like English class I ever took. So yeah, I feel like there's definitely a place for this that it should be like in an academic setting and like not picked it just up. feels very academic. That's yeah. why. I don't think it should be like picked apart necessarily, but I feel like um there's so much to dive into that you could get like a whole semester out of it if you really needed to. Just just so good. This feel but I was going to say because even if it was it, if we look at if we smartly um, that's not even a word. Look at your timeline. You give yourself that month and a half of the semester, and then you start working on the paper as like the final. Yeah. And then you discuss those themes and in, not, in, not to say that it's just a one class surrounding this book, but I feel like you can just take a lot from it. Sure. I mean, you could do a whole, you know, you could do a whole class about dragons and then, you know, pull all the different. There's there's a lot there. We're, we're going off on <laughs> we're going off on a little tangent. Um, so. Um, Loth and Kit, Loth and Kit. So Kit dies. Kit gets stuck in the obsidian tunnels and is killed. And that's a major, um, you know, has a major impact on Loth. It's his first like personal loss, pretty much. Um and and Loth for a long time reminded me of like Matt Donovan Kale. He was just very like set in his religion and like he wouldn't hear otherwise and he wanted to to like pray all the time and and everything was like black or white, right? Nothing was any kind of shade of uh, or gray. So when he finds out that uh the Don Mater Morosa is is not in league with the nameless one but her father is, and her father uh, is partly responsible for Sabron's like mother's death and her father's death. Um, and he's being controlled and like spied upon by by the nameless one in Fidel. But his daughter, Damarda Morosa, isn't, and she she has right. She has the box, and it's very important. And she she gives the the box to Loth and says like, the only way that you can get out of this is if I give you the draconic plague, and the draconic plague is one of the the main reasons why after the grief of ages the worlds pulled apart from each other they were terrified of the dr- draconic plague and it's really terrible but um loth gets infected with the plague and he is sent to the priory he doesn't know that that's where he's going but uh Aralac, who i love Aralac, uh comes to get him Aralac is a He's a big weasel, pretty much. <laughs> um, and he, he comes and he saves Loth and takes him to the priory. And, and, uh, at the priory, Loth, um, is, is given like drugs to kind of forget who he is and where he came from because men in the priory are the, um, servants, which is very nice to see. Good. Yeah, it's very nice to see. Like, I like that. And and Loth kind of comes full circle. Like, he gets abducted by pirates, and he has to, you know, ride on a dragon, and he goes to the unceasing emperor and, like, creates this alliance. Like, Loth has a huge character growth. And then at the end, 
Um, he is the Earl of Goldenbirch and he has all these responsibilities, but, and, and through all of this, all he wants is to find a companion and he, um, he can't stop thinking about the Don Morosa and he writes to her at the end and it kind of is like, okay, now they're going to have this, this like story. I, I really like it. And I love how loyal he is to Sabran. And that's kind of my point here. It is possible to have platonic friendships with men, right? It's, right. It's possible. And they're, and Loth and Sabran and Iad and like that, that relationship is just really beautiful and something that you, you don't, you don't really see a lot of, right? No. No. And I, and I think it's, it's again, this whole book was really refreshing to take, um, even if, it, even though it was a retelling, um, to take current themes and still make them applicable in a fantasy in an adult way, you know, and it doesn't kind of, you know, not to say that YA lessens them, but I, sometimes I feel like they just don't go as deep. Um, or like even when Meg and Iad go to Meg's parents, they're like, oh, are you here to say you're, you're she's going to marry your brother? We always saw it. And she's like, oh, it's, it's not like that. And I think, again, it goes to there's always this assumption with, um, with male female friendships, when both parties, you know, and I, let's just assume that both parties are straight, that that automatically means there's something beyond platonic. Yeah, it is. It is completely refreshing. Um, Jess, tell me about Kaliba because I know that your jaw was on the floor. So tell me. I was, because you know what? Uh, when she, so we know Kaliba is the lady of the woods. And when Meg and Meg and Iad are looking for the sword to help defeat the nameless one, Meg's like, I know where to go. So they're going to these, to the woods. And all of a sudden, Sabran shows up. Sabran shows up. No. Well, yeah, yeah Sabran yeah. shows up and she has a knife to Meg's throat. And I'm so confused with what's happening because I go, wait, what? What's going super confused? And then um, I'm doing a terrible job explaining this, but Iad uses her mage magic, her mage fire to to release Meg from the grass. And that's when we find out that Sabran that was holding the knife to Meg's throat is really Kaliba. And my, and I was, my jaw is on the floor because my initial thought was, oh my gosh, was she Kaliba this whole time? Cause you know, they finally cemented their relationship together and acknowledged that they loved each other. And then I started thinking, how, how does she keep having herself in birth? I was very confused. Does she keep recreating herself and giving them different names? Not the case. I was very arguably like it's worse than that, right? Like she stole, she kidnapped a kid from Meg's line. We find out from Meg's line, raises as her own. So you're like, okay, mother son relationship. Where then she goes to say, I love him more than just my son fell in love with her son basically who she raised 
And her son was like, get the fuck out of here. No. You know who it reminded me of American Horror Story Coven with um, Evan Peters character. And I'm sure like that's just like the immediate media thing that came to mind. I had so many questions. I go, wait, what is happening? Is this what's happening? Oh, and then you find out the story we said. And she and he tries to say, comes back to say, hey, I need your help. So, of course, she now that she's in love with her son, for all intents and purposes, and like, whatever and, you need. And not not biological son. Yeah, no, she yeah. kidnapped this son from Meg's line. Right. Yeah. Uh, and... And then he needs help. He goes to her. She goes, of course, whatever you need, but promise me X, Y, Z. And of course, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Giving her lip service. Falls in love with somebody else. Cleoland. um, Who is of royal blood. He loves her. And that's not the only reason why he likes her. She's beautiful. She's smart. She's in. And and Caliba. Kaliba is distraught. Now she's a woman who has been wronged. She is scorned. Oh my God, he lied to me. So then she takes on the form of Cleo and he falls in love with her and he has, she has their kid. And that's the first of Ron. They have a whole life together. They have a, a whole, whole, the whole life, life together. And and then he doesn't realize it's not her till when she's actually dying because her powers have like basically ceased. Right. So uh, she wasn't able to keep up the illusion of of um, Cleolin during um, childbed. Right. Like so she has her daughter and she yeah, the blood loss and everything. She can't keep up the enchantment. And Galleon sees that that it's Kaliba and it's not Cleolin. And he is racked with guilt and like he's disgusted right he's just disg- he's embarrassed like because it wasn't just him he's like i just did this to our my entire kingdom i do like it was a lot and he he hung himself in the same place that she raised him and let's remember the two of them created an entire religion to solidify their right as as like 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 a royal line right um, so there were statues of her everywhere. Um, she was like venerated because he loved her and, and like he venerated her. And then it, this, this like, uh, it, it's, it's like a rape, isn't it? Like uh, having, having sex with somebody and like not knowing. It wouldn't have been consensual if he knew who yeah. it was. Yeah. No. So it's, it's this horrible, like disgusting, traumatizing crime, like sexual crime, sexual assault that happens. And he, he, you know, dies by suicide uh, because of it because he can't, like, deal with the shame. And then all of – and then now that's – you know, she was Sabran the first. That child is Sabran the first. And, and, and then the line, you know, continues. And, oh, my God. It's just – it's horrifying. And on the flip side of this – so, all, you know, all of this is happening in Innis. On the flip side of this, um, Iad and her religion um, – which is really interesting because, it, you know, it's the George and the dragon. So now you see it from, like, the other side. So, like, Galleon is, like, George and then, you know, Cleolin is is the damsel. And ugh, it, it's it's all very complicated. But but 
Iyad and the Priory were founded by the real Cleoan. Right. Right? Yeah. I do remember. I was like, wait a minute. This is where she came from. Okay, yes, I do remember that. Yeah, because Kaliba takes on her like persona and, and that's where it, it splits. And that's interesting because that one faction is what created the split. Yeah. So, you know, everything happens in Innis and, and uh, Galleon and, and Kaliba, as, as Cleland, set themselves up as king and queen and, you know, the virtues and religion. And they, they have a whole thousand year reign of kingdom. And then, then on the other side, the real Cleland and her handmaidens go out into the desert and fi- found the Priory of the Orange Tree. And, and um, because Cleland rejected Galleon, he didn't do anything to the Nameless One. He lied about everything. And it, ugh, men, right? And um, the, the she had to defeat him. Yeah, she did it. And but she didn't kill the nameless one. She like um, uh, the twentieth in a way, yeah. But, and and like the twentieth scale, like down from his neck, like she she pierced it, but like couldn't get all the way through. And um, at the priory, the uh, the waterfall is named like Galleon's Tears or whatever because he's such like a coward, right? Uh, I love that. <laughs> It's so good. Um, I think we should talk about the three trees because the three trees play a huge part in this. Do you, do you know all three trees? I do not. I, I'm telling you, we might need to just have a recap episode to be like, I get it now. Like, remember in our um, Crown of Gilded Bones, I was just like putting Cardi lyrics to, I feel like that'll be like Priory of the Orange Tree Part 2. Wait a second. I get it. Hold on. Well, even from the ending, the ending is so sad, and we're not going to talk about it just yet, but the ending with Tane, you were like, you don't get it. And I, and I was like saying, I was like, I get this part, I get this part, and you're like, and what about this? I go, and it's over. And you go, no, it's not over. <laughs> so the trees, the trees are, the trees are important. There are three trees, they're sister trees. They're the orange tree, which is at the Priory. Where um, the the sisters, the red damsel, the red damsels, and the the like handmaidens eat the fruit, and it like kindles their their mage fire and gives them like magic. That's the orange tree. You have the hawthorn tree, which was. Uh... <laughs> I was like, I do remember. I was like, I do remember that tree. I remember it being mentioned. <laughs> so the the hawthorn tree. Um, is on the island of Kamaridu, and that tree was the tree of the outcasts, and Naporo ate the the fruit of that tree, and that tree only gave one, 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 uh, one fruit, and Naporo. And that fruit was for immortality, mm-hmm. and that's when they were, they finally, they were talking about that tree, and they go, no, it was the first person who ever consumed it, like, that's it, there's only one, and... You know, that we were having the dialogue, thinking that that tree was going to help them in that moment. And they go, y- "You're centuries late. You're not mm-hmm. even. You're not even close." And you know, it's not too bad, so sad. But that's just the origin of the tree. Yep. And and Naparo ate of the tree, and she you know set herself up kind of as queen. And there, there's a whole like back and forth of like letters and stuff. And and she has uh, a child, and and you know on and on and on. And that is um, who Tane is descended from. 
And then you have the mulberry tree. Wait, did I? Yes, I was wrong. The mulberry tree is the one on Camarito. The hawthorn tree is the one that Kaliba has um, her power from. So the, the three sister trees, which is interesting. And there is some sort of like weird story between Kaliba and Naporo because um, Kaliba like recognized Tane. It was like, you are Naporo. And Tane's like, the fuck? What? No, I'm not. Yeah. Um, so there's like some backstory there. And I was reading on like Reddit and stuff and people were like, what is it? Were they lovers? Like, what is it? What is it? What is it? Um, but we, we don't know. Do you think, and I mean, there is, the, everybody keeps saying this is a standalone. It has been addressed that it's a standalone, but because there are unanswered questions like that specific one, do you think that would like lean towards there's a possibility of a second one? I mean, I went to the author's site and she doesn't have anything slated to come out or has made an announcement. I mean, her most recent update is um, coming in 2020. So I don't know. I, I There's so much. Or do you want that explored? Or do you feel like because of how um, in-depth this book went that it's not necessary? I feel like they could do exactly what Game of Thrones is doing. Have this book oh. as like seasons, right? And then like let it let it finish and then go back to like before the grief of ages started and 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 then have everything there and then all the ancestors right and then everything and then that story having that prequel of like what like leading up to the first time the nameless one was put away yeah yeah and you could end it like there and then because you know pick up a thousand years later yeah and then like that yeah so yeah i mean it's obviously there there's enough material for it gosh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, something else that I really love about this is the, the waxing and waning jewels and the long haired star, which I thought was just so, so lovely. And just like what is below, you know, balances what is above and, uh, and the comet. And like, it, it's so hard to explain, right? Like, like when, when the Eastern dragons are at their most powerful and they can shape shift and like, you know, spin illusions and everything, then the Western dragons are not as powerful. But then, you know, everything is a cycle. Everything, you know, is a circle. It comes back. So this book starts with the Eastern dragons losing their power and the Western dragons rising right so you know everything is in balance and you know they talk about that with the tablet of a uh, room labar and like there there's like riddles and nicklaze has this whole thing about like trying to figure out the riddles and everything and he does and then the star charts and all of it well even with those jewels i think it was like they call it like the rising and the waning i mean but i think it, when i think of waning i think of moon cycles so i was like okay well the waxing and the waning is mm-hmm. how i kind of processed it but I like the symbolism there where you're talking about the dragons and like the full circle of it all because it happened again where it was Iad and Tane. They had to be from where they were from and their lineage in order to to put those pieces together to defeat the nameless one. And then we find out poor Tane is looped into it for the rest of her life now. Well, tell tell me. Tell me, Jess. I can't tell you because I was I was clueless because you had the butterfly. You were even saying you're like the butterfly who is not non Naporo. Naporo. Naporo comes in butterfly form. And you were like, oh, 
um, Tane's bleeding. Did you get it? And she's like in this dreamlike state. And I go, she, she died. I did not like pick up anything. You go, and she has the jewel implanted in her all over again. And they, she even initially, she didn't realize that the jewel was implanted in her. She just kind of thought, hey, I've always had this my whole life. Her family knew that she's had it and they never really addressed it. And it is what it is. And you just, you bringing that up, it was just such a sad moment because this is, this is going to be secular. Like it's going to be another, it's going to be another X amount of time. And she's going to be the one harboring the, the, this responsibility again. Again. Yeah. It, it's all, yeah, it, it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's really, really beautiful. And like Naimathon is there and she's like, I'll wait for you here. And then, ah, uh, it's, so good. she's so good. And it, it's just so wonderful. Um, So obviously there is, so much to talk about and just like rehashing the plot isn't going to get us anywhere because there's just there's just too much there's too much to talk about well i feel like it's just like with the book where you needed to know the plot and that that was that was also interesting because i go why am i not getting into it because i'm just not giving myself enough time is it more plot driven and i'm used to things being character driven but it's not just plot driven because the care it's very being reflective of it it's very symbiotic where the plot drives the characters and the characters drive the plot but that's also telling with this specific story is everything is full circle like it's just constant like a like a wheels and a cog they just need to keep they need each other to continue to keep going i also feel like if this were in like a visual like media format that um, it would be easier and like more palatable for some people because like if you look at Lord of the Rings, like I think I think everybody in the planet has seen the original Love Lord of the Rings yeah. movies, right? But like you have the world building of the Shire and the Hobbits and like the orcs and you you have a lot of the same, I mean, a lot of the same elements, but like a lot of the same like world building elements. Obviously, they're very different. But seeing them... Uh, and, and kind of like absorbing them as you see them is different than like reading them, right? Because it's like, okay, you know, we have, we have Gollum and we have like Mordor and we have like all these things. You have aspects of that here, but because you are, are like reading it and, and you don't have like a lot to draw on, it's harder. It's, it's a lot harder. So I think it would need to be TV. You can't do this justice in a, in a single movie. You can't even, like, break it up into a trilogy the way Lord of the Rings did. Because Lord of the Rings did that because there are multiple books, you know? And even then, like, I've, see, I've seen Lord of the Rings. I've never read Tolkien. So see, digesting this book is a very good indicator of how I will have to digest Tolkien. And I don't remember much. I mean, visually... I remember Lord of the Rings and the main characters and the plot. The music, actually. Thinking about it, Lord of the Rings is the first movie where I was moved by the music. Yeah. So would you suggest reading, watching it first and then going into a read or reading it knowing the visuals that I do remember and then going into it? I would say read it. uh, We're talking about Tolkien. I would say read read it first and then go back because there's a there's a lot that 
you know, is because the foundation, I already have a general yeah. foundation visually there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's, there's a lot in the books that like didn't make it into the movies and like, you know, stuff has changed, you know, there, there, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff like that. We digress. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. We digress. We're thinking about what we're going to do later on. Um, this book, let's talk about the end of this book. Let's talk about grown ass women, grown ass people making grown ass decisions. I love, I love that Iad and Sabran acknowledge their, the, their love for each other, their want for each other, and also the sacrifice that needs to happen at this point in time. And it goes to the bigger picture, right? And I think that, that is definitely something that we always talk about, um, no matter what we're reading or the frustrations that we have with the, with other characters. I know we definitely touched on it with the Crown of Gilded Bones episode where we just kept screaming at, at, at Poppy and Castile, like the bigger picture. Don't go, you know, you're, you're ruining everything. Like this is not just about you right now. And as much as we love those characters, you got to take a step back because Sabran has this kingdom and Ied has like her stuff that she has to take care of at the Priory. And there's just, there's so much more at stake than just them two. And I think it was so refreshing, I think is the right word for them to just take a step back and be like, our love for each other isn't going anywhere. And we can acknowledge that. And our bond that we have isn't going anywhere. And we can acknowledge that. So let's address what we need to address and then reconvene at another point in time. And 10 years, right? They were very specific. So Iad at the end of this is going to be the new prioress of the Priory of the Orange Tree. And she is going to revolutionize the way that the Priory interacts. And for a long time, this is very telling, for a long time with the former prioress, everything was inward. You take care of yourself and like your your own borders first, right? Well, they she did that when they were they were like, oh, you're here now. Oh, who was it? I can't think of it right now. Like you now, you can't leave. They won't they won't forget about you. She, he he was like, what? Maybe Loth. Maybe that was Loth. Loth. Yeah. yeah, Loth. Because he was he was like, no, I I I have to go back. I have a goes, family, and yeah, yeah. She's like, oh no, you're here now. You know about us. You know about all this. We'll take care of you. Life might not be so great as it was before, but you'll be fine. They're not going anywhere. Like, way to make people feel captive. Exactly. Exactly. So now Iad, because that prioress, you know, there's a whole thing. But Iad now is the new prioress, and she's going to expand and and um, really focus on, like, hunting down Fiedel and some of the other dragons that were uh, not killed during the, the big battle with the Nameless One. And they are... They're going to come back. Yeah. Yeah. I just, even though this is a standalone, like, you don't not kill the bad guy and expect them to stay away. Exactly. Even though, like, the big bad was destroyed by uniting, you know, like, Dragon Slayer and Dragon Rider and then, like, Ascalon and, like, the, the big battle with all the nations together, like, fighting under one, like, unified, you know, like. That is something that the Nameless One said that really really stuck out to me and we'll go back to Iad in the Priory but uh, the Nameless One says like what are you going to do without me I'm your unifying 
like thing. You're all unified together to fight me because of me. And now I'm gonna be gone, and and you're all gonna like go back to infighting, and you're gonna have politics and religion, and you're all gonna be separated again. Like you need me. Part of me is like he's not wrong, right? <laughs> you know, like yeah. yeah, you know, you need something to like rally behind and like a common cause, a common goal for to. But yeah, I mean, it was a good point. Well, that's like, and not to side with the villain, but that re- it reminded me of when Thanos, his whole thing, like he was really, before he was as bad as he was, he's, he said like, look, this is this is the issue with the world. There's a, a like the universe, there's overpopulation, blah, blah, blah. Like, this is why I think we need to control some things. And everyone's like, no, 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 no. But what the way he presents his thoughts to you know the panel or whatever you're you're like oh he's he's not wrong the world is is shitty like there is an overpopulation like look at look at not the world but like the universe um and in a grander scheme of things when it's broken down like that you're like i see where he's coming from the methods of how it happened yeah not, not great. so great. <laughs> not great but when he but when like the bad guy brings a valid point and we've had this in previous discussions where you could have those those positive conversations without attacking people specifically online and i think people forget that you can have discourse and be respectful in those conversations and that's what i feel like happens with some of the bad guys you're like oh he does he does bring a good point like if you're a juror if you're part of a jury and you're looking like at both sides you're like that guy brings a good argument oh but he brings a good argument too like that's what it's supposed to be you're supposed to be non-objectively or no you should be objective what non-objective wait what am i trying to say you should not have it. You should be receptive. There we go to what's being told to you. Yeah, yeah, and and the way that this ends with with uh, the nameless one, you know, being banished and you know, for for all we know, killed uh, and like trapped in the abyss, which is very scary, by the way. The abyss, just a still black ocean. Jesus. Anytime somebody talks about an abyss, it's terrifying. There's nothing. That you can paint to be like, well, the abyss in such and such story wasn't that bad. No, no, it's all it's all, all it's bad. always bad. It's always very scary. Yeah, that really stuck out to me. It's like, yeah, he's making a good point. But then, of course, we have like Iad opening up the priory and working with governments, and you know, together they will like, hunt down the rest of the the dragons. And then Sabron um, is pledging to abdicate and tell everybody the truth about. Uh, the, the history of yeah. like how and like their their history of what they've known this whole time, and she says, you know, I can, I will abdicate, and it'll be really difficult, and people will not be receptive, and you know, my successor will probably have to be one of the like Duke spirituals because the people will be more comfortable with you know pulling somebody from already like a royal like council, so it'll be easier. Um, and then she's like, I can tell them like the nameless one is gone. Like I'm like, I'm done. Right. Like my job is finished. I don't have to, um, be this, this like figurehead anymore because not only is the religion false, 
but the the like big bad is gone. So which now, which is the whole reason yeah. why they kept procreating, even though we knew it was a, a thousand years. You had to keep having kids to to extend that time frame for when it was when the nameless one was going to come back. They'd be ready, and it was part of the same line, right? But they're done. There's they're such done. a duty that I mean, like how I mean, and I think that that's to be said with a lot of roles and responsibilities um, within anything. And I, and I don't necessarily mean it from like a job, like if you, you go to work and make money, but when you have these expectations kind of thrust onto you, a lot of times there's pressure, there's expectation. And, and sometimes you have this natural inclination to, to not want to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you and reading this book. <laughs> I was, I was like, I have to read this book. And I was like, I don't want to. And there was no reason for me not wanting to. Well, you did the same thing with Throne of Glass. I was. I even said, I'm going to read from Blood and Ash first. You're like, stop doing that to yourself. Well, yeah. Um, okay, so so the the end the end of this, we have two grown women two grown women in a loving relationship that acknowledges that there are things bigger than them that they have to take care of and they pledge that it'll be 10 years from the day no longer they will meet in perchling and they will go off and and be together um really really beautiful just oh it's just it's just wonderful and that that right you know that wraps up all the storylines like tane will continue the cycle with naimathon and and the jewel um, Sabran and Iad will have a life together in 10 years in, unless like something, you know, 10 years is a long time. 10 years is, is a long time. But if you've been in, if anybody's been in a relationship for 10 or more years, it's also like we've been together for 10 years, but how the hell has it been 10 years? Yeah. Yeah. We, we didn't really talk about him, but Nicolay's is is back in Mentendon and he is come full circle and he has um like reconciled with the wife of his lover Jenard, um, and um he will be like reintroduced in the society and his adventures as um an alchemist and an anatomist will revolutionize the universities there so he has his whole thing Loth is with the Don Mata Morosa and Meg is going to be married like all you know all the the storylines are tied up in like loose little knots that could very easily be unraveled if the plot uh, later down the line needed them to be um god i love grown women doing grown women things and i think Iad's like 26 right they're not yeah they're not old and i think sabran's 28 because they go like 8 and 20 mm-hmm. so they're and yeah Ian Iad is 26 yeah i mean you love to see it yeah, and I think we're just not, I don't want to say we're not used to it, but usually when we read fantasy, I think, and maybe it's just what I've been exposed to thus far, it has been skewed younger. So this just feels more along the lines of what would your decision-making skills be in your late 20s? And and these, these would be it. These would be it. This is, this is exactly what I would do, personally. I mean, yeah. Greater good. Bigger picture. Bigger picture. Ugh. So, Jess. Do I want to read this again? Absolutely. I have to. I have to. I'm going to be like, wait. You're going to have, like, actual live reactions to be like, wait, making, like, more connections. And Okay. And even if you're not 
somebody who gets completely immersed in, in, in what you're reading, that's obviously not me. I'm just like dedicated typically to the world that I'm in. I think it benefits anybody who's reading this to do a reread because you're going to grasp things more and understand things better. And just how I think I, I think it, there's going to be more of an appreciation, just like with The Folk of the Air, where I really loved it after Queen of Nothing. And then I was able to go back into it, knowing how smart she was, I, uh, Jude, understanding, just having that foundation to know what I was walking into already. Um, it was it made the second read I, I appreciated it so much more. And I feel like this is a perfect, this book is another perfect example because it, it's very heavy with the details and the, just, just everything going on. And that that's my advice for anybody who's looking for a, a especially a high fantasy um, to understand what you're going into. If you're not used to something of this caliber. Excellent points all around. I think that is one of the benefits. And of course, I'm not shitting on other genres, but I think that's one of the beautiful things about fantasy is that when you have this, this constructed like world, right? You're able to reread it multiple times and pick up on all sorts of like new connections and new things. And like it, it all kind of solidifies in your head where if you're reading something else, it might just be like a relaxing, like one and done, and you wouldn't ever think to go back to it. I, I, I agree with that. I was started chuckling. I'm sorry, because I was thinking of the text that I sent you the other day with the voicemail <laughs> of, about a certain genre that I that I would read. And, you know, and I go, I'm just sometimes I, I was reading this book and I go, you know, maybe I just can't get into it. Maybe my I'm in a reading slump and I just, no matter what I'm picking up, I just can't get into. So maybe I need to change my genre up. So I went to go to a genre that I used to default to and I read the first line and I sent it to Laura and I was just laughing so hard. I go, nope, it's it's not the genre. It's not the genre. I need to stay in fantasy. Um, and maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was just because of that first line of the summary that I just could not get into. Um, but it just reminded me, you know, and, and but, you know, at the same time, at the same time, without shitting on other genres, Laura reminded me, she's like, you have to have other genres because fantasy can be so heavy and it's a lot because usually with fantasy, what I've, I'm learning is that there's a, there, there's lessons, I guess, like in lessons that you could apply to your, lessons that you've gone through or you're going through that are very relatable, even if they're in this grand epic capacity, whereas lighter reads are very much like, you can be one and done. It just makes you happy. I'm not trying to have a life altering experience. And sometimes you you need you have to, you need that fluff to kind of balance it out. Because imagine just rereading Throne of Glass after you finish Throne of Glass all over again. Like that's that's you're asking to be in therapy for the rest of your life. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Uh, and especially with something like this, too. It's like, 
Ooh. It, it, I look forward to the next couple of days where you like kind of make connections, but like in the back of your head, right? Like you'll, maybe you'll like be doing something, be like, oh, oh, um, that, that's how I've read a lot of, um, these epic, you know, these epics like, uh, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, um, pattern of shadow and light, you know, my favorite, um, series. Just it's wonderful that series like this, books like this exist so that we can have these really like complex conversations and, and, and really, as you said, challenge yourself to be outside of your comfort zone and to really kind of appreciate all the different kind of genres because you can switch and from subgenres too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I didn't I really didn't realize. I, I don't know why. I think it was just a matter of clumping fantasy sci-fi together. So I think I had already initially thought it's just it's all the same. I really did. Not in a bad way. And with some of the the, the books that we've been reading it skewed that way. Like it was, and I guess because it had been YA and I was already, I was in the genre. I was comfortable with it. And this really shook it up for me. And again, not in a bad way. It's reflective of me. And I think at one point you were like, well, maybe we just don't do this, this type of fantasy. It was like, no, like don't <laughs> tell me we're not going to do something because it's needed. Because if you didn't force me to read Akatar. When I was like 40 books in of all my other contemporary reads last year and biographies, I wouldn't be like, this would not, these conversations, these stimulating conversations would not be happening. Oh, that's so true. Ah. Ah. <laughs> You're like, good on me. Pat on ah. back. Yay, yay. <laughs> as you should. As you should. <laughs> um, I think it's obvious I love this book. Uh, I did the audio. I think we should note that the audio is not easy. It is not an easy audible listen. Uh, it takes a good while to get um, into it. And that that's not on the narrator. You know, that's not on anything. That is just just how it is. I think it's because it, it's also the type of story it is also. Because I think I'm used to like speeding up the, the rate. And I realized very quickly. Can't. You can't do that. Mm-mm. And even at pace, you're still kind of like, wait, I need to visually work on this. And also the map included in the book is like three pages long. Uh, it's it's very, you know, the world is detailed and rich and there's so much to pull from it. I think even the, the author says in the beginning, like uh, any like likenesses to like the real world or anything like that is like pure like coincidence or like imagination. That isn't in the audio, and I've only listened to this audio, so I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, I think the authors note, the fictional lands in this book are inspired by events and legends from various parts of the world. None is intended as a faithful representation of any one country or culture at any point in its history. Which is probably just like a... Disclaimer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> don't come for me. Yeah, d- don't don't come for me. This is an imagination of... St. George and the Dragon. Maybe that's a... Sam, does editor Sam want to re-record a new intro for our... Hey, it could be good. <laughs> like, everything that they say in their fictional minds. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Um, would recommend this book, of course. 
uh, take your time with it, enjoy it, use the resources that are, that are there, and um, don't knock it till you try it. Those are my those are my thoughts. Yeah, I think you know what I think this is a good and you did this very well um, because you started reading it in April of tandem reading it with something else. So you can have that, you know, you're, you're going to really dive into this for a couple of chapters and then you can go to something later and then go back to really dig into this and then, you know, listen to something later What if you're kind of doing mundane things that you don't need to be focusing on. I think that is something that I will definitely take in my next reread of this. Like, I'll probably go back and start rereading this. I don't want to say today, but sometime this week and spread it out more um, while I'm also reading our next read. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at Acafe Podcast and feel free to follow us on TikTok. Laura is Acafe Laura and I am Acafe Jessica. We just like sharing little bits of our lives with you and really just like interacting with everybody because we get to do these things that we love together. And it's so much fun. So thank you for listening and for interacting and just being totally awesome because everyone's been super nice and it's really, really nice. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.